Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm chatting with Brittany Sheehan. Brittany is a Los Angeles-based sleep consultant and founder of Brittany Sheehan Sleep, a company that offers one-on-one support for families struggling with sleep, as well as online courses from birth through age seven. She also has a sleep and parenting podcast called The Snooze Button. However, I'm excited to talk to Brittany today because she's not only a fellow working mom of three little kids, but also a woman who has transitioned careers from being in marketing in the New York City luxury fashion industry to now an entrepreneur helping parents get the rest they need to survive. I can't wait for Brittany to share her story, and hopefully we can all learn a thing or two about sleep. Welcome. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have you because sleep is such an important topic. But to start it off, I wanted to ask, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Oh, biggest mom win of the week. Oh, my God. Okay, now I have to think. I got to think of something really good. Well, I did something great last week as a mom, I will tell you. So I've been, because I have three little kids, you know this world very deeply. Sometimes we're all like together and no one's really getting the focus just on them. So I decided what I'm going to start doing is these like one-on-one, just one night overnight trips with my kids, just to be alone with them and give them all of my time and attention. And I have found the best way to do that is to go somewhere because not only is there no other child there, nor is my husband there, there's also no laundry, no dishwasher, no laptop. So I took my middle son, my three and a half year old to Laguna Beach just for one night. And it was wonderful. We had the best time, just the two of us. Loved it. That's amazing. So instead of a 20 minute cure, it's like a 20 hour cure. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. After that experience, what do you think are like the top things that came out of it? Like in terms of either your relationship or for you or any realizations, like what did you learn from that experience and had you done it before? Yeah. So I've done it, but only with my daughter. So when my, and she's my youngest. So when she was a newborn, it was just, obviously I had two little boys. It was chaotic in the house. And I was like, you know what? I want to just enjoy maternity leave. I'm not working. I took her for a one night getaway when she was like seven weeks old. And then I was like, this is adorable. I'm going to do this every year for her birthday. So I did it on her birthday. And as you can imagine, my sons picked up on this and were like, excuse me. And I thought, yeah, why am I just doing this with her? So I've done it with a newborn and a one-year-old, but this was my first time taking like a walking, talking child. Right. One who like actually comprehends what's going on. Totally. And I think my two biggest takeaways from it are And this one, I just have to, you you will totally understand. It's like, I almost felt bad afterwards because I was like, wow, I'm such a nicer mom when I just have one. I'm so patient. Like there was no, not even from either of us, like an inch of like frustration. He didn't cry at all. I never raised my voice or was snapping. It was like so peaceful. So I just need to figure out a way to translate some of that peace when I'm at home and there is a dishwasher and a baby crying and all that stuff. 
But the other like really nice takeaway was he talked so much more when he didn't have his big brother there talking for him. Not, and we always think of him as kind of like the quieter one, it, nonstop talking, asking me yeah. questions right and left, just so engaging. And it was adorable. And it made me think we got to find ways at home to bring him out a little bit more because he does want to talk. He's just used to his brother doing all the talking. It's interesting you say that because he's a middle child. And so I just took a class like siblings without rivalry and yep. trying to not do the birth order of, you know, oh, you're the oldest, you're the middle. I mm-hmm. see that my middle child, she's starting to blossom, but she's trying to figure out, I think her voice because her older brother also speaks on her behalf or right. her younger sister is super vocal now that she just turned three. And so it's interesting to see and like doing parent teacher conferences and you hear like the characteristics and you're like, who's that child? Like, I don't know her at home like that. That's great. Has your husband ever done a one-on-one thing like that? He hasn't. And of course he's like, oh, you have a great time at your fancy, you know, he's like giving me a hard time. I'm like, why don't you do it? Go do it. You know, but like, I'm the mom, I'm the planner, right? I'm like, honey, where do you want? You want to take him to Malibu? I will book it for you. Do, do something with the boys. This is a great idea. I think every parent should do it if it's, if it's possible. That is fantastic. Well, to step back a minute, I wanted to ask what is kind of your family dynamic structure and what are the roles that you and your partner or husband play? Yeah. Just in terms of like the day-to-day, like parenting yeah, and kind of like house- what, yeah. what does your family structure look like? I know you have three kids, you know, give the audience a little bit about their ages and then kind of what are the dynamics and roles in your house? Yeah. So yeah. So I am married to my husband and then we have three kids. So our oldest is five and a half. And then the little guy on my trip was three and a half. And then a one-year-old, she just, well, actually she's one and a half. Yeah. They all grow so fast. So we both work full time and we both work from home. So That does, I think, for sure, in many ways, we're like the traditional heterosexual couple where like, I'm more involved in the childcare. He's, you know, he's the one who's probably if someone is going to work late, you know, I'm the one who will step down and and help out if there's a doctor's appointment or whatever. But we do have maybe some less traditional roles within the home because we both own our own businesses and work full time from home. So we equally divide the childcare drop off. So we have a full-time nanny and my husband and I rotate who does drop off in the morning and the nanny does pick up. My husband is more the cook than me. We divide it somewhat, but he's, if like one of us is the default, it's him. Whereas I'm the default for, you know, all the things that most dads, he does not know what diaper size anyway. I don't think he's ever like clipped a toenail or cleaned an ear, you know, he's never done laundry, right? So the, most of that stuff is still falling to me, but he's a very involved dad and we both try to make an effort to be back inside the house at five when our nanny leaves. Um, even if it means, you know, for him, he works New York hours here in LA. So he's up at five for work. So I also joke that despite our children, obviously being amazing sleepers, there's like a very short window where everyone's asleep in our house because I tend to stay up late and finish house duties or work. And he gets up very early, but it works. Nice. And so I know you moved out here from New York and I'm curious, when did you start your company? Kind of what was the inspiration behind it? And, you know, you were working in like luxury fashion, you were doing marketing, you were doing all this stuff. What brought you out to California? And, you know, when did you launch your company in the madness of children? Yeah, we honestly didn't really have a reason to move out here. We just wanted to. We'd been in New York, my husband and I both for a little over a decade. And you know, my dad used to always joke that New York is a great place if you're young and poor or old and rich. And when you're neither, it's hard. And we were realizing we're inching away from like not being 22 and eating ramen noodles and going to bars every night. And maybe this wasn't 
the perfect place to have a family. And we had my first and talked about it. And we'd both, he'd lived in San Francisco briefly. We both loved California and we're deciding between, you know, the New York suburbs and here. And he was given an opportunity to take over kind of the West Coast business for the company he was with at the time. And I, I think because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, I sort of had this vision that like, oh, after you have kids, like you'll become a stay-at-home mom. And so I quit my job in New York when we moved and then was a stay-at-home mom for a year, which was a really good experience. I think, especially now for my job, I have a much deeper understanding of what it's like to work part-time, full-time, and fully be home with your kids, because at this point, I've done all three. But after about a year, I felt like I kind of wanted to do something else. Like I, I liked being at home with my son, but it wasn't until my second was born and I was in a mommy and me class. And I, my first son slept through the night at three months. I knew very much what I was doing. I kind of cobbled together some different philosophies because at the time I did have a very intense full-time job in New York. And I was like, I can't be like passing out at my desk at 10 a.m. Not an option. Um, And it worked really well. And so friends would see how well things were going. They're like, he just naps like that. You just put him down awake and he like falls asleep. How do you do that? And so I had friends and colleagues and stuff asking me questions, but it wasn't until I was in this mommy and me class with my second, who of course also at that point was sleeping through the night at three months despite being a a NICU preemie and all that stuff. And I was almost like frustrated. I was like, every single person in this class is dominating the conversation every single week, talking about their baby's sleep. And like everything that they would say, I was like, I know the answer to that. I could fix that. But like, I'm not going to be the like obnoxious mom in the class, right? He's like, Like, "Um, I know it all. (laughs) Yeah. Have you tried this? Like I did it a few times. And I was like, I'm not going to say, you know, there's a teacher here. And I got home and I was like, I wonder if I could like do this professionally, right? Like I've been texting friends late at night and whatever. And I literally just Googled it. And I was like, oh, turns out this is a job. I can like basically go back to school and get, you know, real credentials and not just be like a mom who's good at this thing. And so I did. It was just, I, I saw a problem that needed to be solved and I wanted to solve it. Were you like nervous about starting your own company? Like you, you know, some people going from working to being a mom are like, have these ideas, but like, what was that step that took you? Like, how did you start? Did you just say like, I'm going to do this? I think if I'm being totally honest, yeah, I did kind of say, I'm just going to do this. But I think to be totally honest, I had two things going for me. One was I didn't really have much to compare to. So I wasn't like, oh, I'm not doing as well as this person because it's a pretty small niche industry and I didn't know anyone else doing it. And I think sometimes when you have other things in your ear, like this is what you're supposed to do when you launch. This is how you're supposed to send emails. So I didn't have to worry about like trying to keep up with something else. And I also had this background in business. And I, I do think, to be honest, a lot of people in my industry, that that's not the place they're coming from necessarily. I think a lot of people in sleep consulting come from like being a nurse or being a nanny or like something where they're working with little kids. And that's the reason they get into it. Whereas for me, it was more like, no, I'm just innately good at this thing, but I have a business background. So I think it made me less intimidated by things like, you know, I still needed to learn systems and all that stuff, but I wasn't intimidated by like the business side of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Got it. And then I was curious, like you said your two kids slept well. Do you think when you were like talking to other people, because sometimes like nature versus nurture, like some kids are just like great sleepers and you're like, this is fantastic. Like I had two amazing sleepers and then my third is an absolute train wreck. And I'm just like, (laughs) is it me? Is it them? Like, so for you, when you were like starting out with all of this, were you like, oh no, my kids are just great sleepers. Or were you like, no, it's definitely me. It's definitely what I'm doing. And were you able to translate that pretty easily and then like see a trend? Yeah, totally. I actually remember being really frustrated and I would talk to other families who had good sleepers 
And it was like a theme with all of us. This was before I was a sleep consultant where people would be like, oh, you're so lucky. And I was like, I hate when people say that to me, like, it's not luck. And the reason I knew it wasn't luck is because I was doing things so intentionally. You know, it's one thing if you don't know what you're doing and you're just like, I don't know, Sarah's a good sleeper. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe that is a little bit of luck. Of course, there is a spectrum of kids who you do all the right things and it clicks very quickly, right? So that was my oldest. I did all the right things, but I was very intentional and very thoughtful about it. But it did, once I did those things, it was very easy for him. Whereas my second, which I actually think he's the one that gave me more confidence that like, no, I really know what I'm doing. Because with him, it 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 took a little bit longer or I, I needed to pull out like all the stops, right? Whereas Teddy was more like, I just follow these things and look what happens. And with Baker, it was like, okay, I need to tweak this and be very thoughtful about this. And like, we're going to keep this nap a little bit longer. And I was really like using my knowledge. And now with your daughter, how's the third? She was great. I would say she was, I don't know, because now I'm so experienced that I feel like it muddles my my perception, but she definitely was easier than my second. So boy, I was going to say, then stepping back, I know you're like an expert in it, but what were the things that you did intentionally now knowing with your expertise? What are like the top three things that you intentionally did that you think were like the biggest home runs that like, if we were to like reverse back and, you know, to any new moms out there, be like, these are the three things, like focus on these first. Yes. And like, cause you've seen it all, you've tried it all, you've done it all. And now reflecting back, you tried things intentionally. Some people are out there like doing all the things, trying things intentionally also, but coming from you now seeing hundreds of, or maybe thousands of children, what three things are the most, I guess, important, intentional things we should know going into sleep? Yeah. And I mean, I think if we're like going all the way back, right. To like a newborn, like if I could tell every newborn mom, the number one thing is make your default, putting your baby down awake instead of asleep. There are times, and again, you're going to, there is a spectrum, right? There are some babies who are pretty easy and there are some who are super fussy, but so I'm not saying you don't attend to a fussy baby, right? But it defaults if it is their nap time. Like, I don't know where there's, there must be some book somewhere that's like telling everyone to rock their babies to sleep. Or maybe we just see it I mean, in movies. Song, I don't know. Rockabye baby. Literally the song is rockabye baby. Yeah, and then like they fall like out of the tree and it's a disaster. Yes. Yeah. Right. So don't listen to that song. That would be the biggest thing is put them down awake because I think, I mean, and I've had clients, as you can imagine, even like two-year-olds that are still being rocked before their nap. And as you can imagine, a two-year-old does not appreciate that, which is why they're calling me. So putting babies down awake and then anchoring your days by the feeds instead of the naps, because newborn sleep is very erratic. Even if you were doing everything perfectly, like I talk so much about this in my newborn course, they're just erratic. They're growing so fast. You'll have days where they're asleep the whole day, days where they're, you know, can't put them down at all. So anchoring your day by the feeds and then offering the sleep when you want it, but knowing that it's not going to be perfect. So you can release that. Because I feel like a lot of moms are like, oh, but they're sleeping so well. And you know, never, never wake a sleeping baby or whatever. But then the feeds go to like six hours. And then they brag about like, oh my gosh, my kids slept for six hours. And you're like, oh my God, you didn't feed your newborn. Like, (laughs) isn't like every three hours? Like It's it's, it's like, right. And I also think you forget that like those first couple of weeks, they're so small and so sleepy that it can be easy to get cocky, right? It's like, oh, they're no, they're sleeping great. And then they wake up at seven weeks and it's like a nightmare. So those two things help. And then just deferring soothing when their needs are met just to see if they're actually awake and need something. Because I think especially for a first time parent, sleep with a newborn looks so different than an adult sleep. 
that, I mean, clients say this all the time. They're like, Brittany, something's wrong. Like she's flailing around all the time. She's grunting. She's making these crazy sounds. I'm like, no homegirl. This is how all newborns are. And of course their instinct is to like try to do something when that happens. So that would be the other, probably the third thing is just like watch them for a minute. Lay pause as we call it and see, is this actually a baby who's literally awake and wants to be fed or are they just being a classic newborn lunatic flailing around? Yeah. So if you flip it now on the other side of things for the mom, so, or the parents, like how can we cope with newborns or little ones? And then we'll move on to the toddler stage for parents to get good sleep. Like, I think like parents, that's the other like biggest anxiety. So like looking back, I think the things that uh, newborn moms or even infants like are the most anxious about is feeding and sleep. It's like, yes. it it makes them so anxious that they, they don't themselves don't get good sleep. So is there any advice that you can give to new moms about how to also get that rest to nourish themselves? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things, and this is hard in things way beyond sleep, but I often am talking to clients about like being thoughtful and potentially getting a little bit less sleep early on will pay dividends for you later because it is so easy when you're exhausted to not pay attention to how much the baby's nursing. If you were nursing, for instance, or, you know, they make a peep and you know, if you just keep going to give the passy, they'll sleep for 15 more minutes. And in your short-term brain, you're exhausted and it's 4am. You're like, just give them the passy, just feed them. But if you were willing to like do lay pause, go over, I mean, I remember going and like standing over the bassinet with my youngest, my daughter, and being like, is she really hungry? Does she really need to eat? And like those few weeks of maybe being more tired to to get her over the hump. And then I'm like, everything's hunky-dory. I have a three-month-old who's sleeping for 12 hours a night. So sometimes, and this can translate even when, if you're going through kind of the sleep training process at any age, right? It's like being willing to put up with things being a little bit harder so that they can be amazing. And then you're everyone is getting the sleep they need. And it's like, you're just so grateful that you're there on the other side. Which is on that note, I remember you've said something that was interesting to me and I wanted to ask you about it was you're like, you know, if it's not bothering you, if it's not breaking you, like, don't change it. It doesn't matter if it's Mm -hmm. like not the right thing or the wrong thing. But then I started to reflect back because I know a lot of moms were like, oh, it's fine. Like I co-sleep every night. Their kid is like eight and you're like, okay, they shouldn't be co-sleeping anymore. Or like, it's fine. We rotate beds with my five-year-old, my eight-year-old, whatnot. And I'm like, do you ever sleep with your husband? And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like I'm not here to judge, but, and I was like, she's like, it's working for us. And I know you say like, if it's working for you, just keep it, but is it really working for them? And is it like their own mindset? And so how do you yeah. speak to parents who you're like, maybe that, cause it might not be in the best interest of actually the children. And it's really the parents' emotional kind of, you know, attachment issues or things like, do you ever encounter situations where you have to be like, great. Yeah. It seems like it's working, but it's not. So, um, this is what you need to do. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you give that like light bulb moment or, or to clients when you're like, it's you that needs to change and like any tips on how parents can actually change? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's almost two separate things because on the one hand, if you think about, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about like people, like adults with their adult parents going to therapy. And they're like, how do I get my mom or dad who's like narcissistic or, you know, they, they need to go to therapy with me. And they were saying like, you can't like, yes, it, great example of something that's not working, right? Like this person has mental issues, but you can't force someone to take therapy, right? Like if they don't want it. So I always will tell people like, I'm here to support people who want to change and want my help. I'm not here to like 
force anyone to do something they don't want to do. And I think that's the first step. So there have been like, it's very rare, but there have been instances where someone would reach out and are like, I'm not willing to change X, Y, Z, and Z. So can you help us? And I'm like, well, I kind of can't. Like, if you're not willing to actually change anything, then nothing's going to change. And I also am very, very careful. I think because not just sleep, but like parenting in general is so personal and Mm -hmm. people can be very defensive of their choices, which I understand. And so I never want to put someone in a position to feel like I'm looking down on them and being like, you're making all these mistakes and you're terrible. So that's sort of a separate thing. If somebody doesn't want it, then that's their choice. But I mean, between you and me, yeah, of course, if I see a six-year-old who's co-sleeping and they're up every two hours, like, no, that child is not getting good sleep, nor are the parents, but Right. And like the road they chose. It's kind of like I'm like looking forward in the future. I'm like for their own like actual like sleep is so important for developmental and all of this. Like, how can we, I guess, teach people better? Or how can we, you know, like and I look at moms and moms are always complaining they're exhausted and blah blah. And it's because of this. And it's like, well, you can change, but you know, and I'm just concerned about like the future of children and moms by not getting good sleep. And like, we all know, like, you know, what's the perfect conditions for sleep. And we all, as moms, we always laugh. We're like, yeah, it'd be nice to get, you know, eight hours of sleep in a blackout room with like, you know, the perfect whatever. And it's hard when your kids are running and screaming or that, but, but it's like, what can we do as parents to kind of like, I don't know, just. Yeah. Like for them, I mean, because I do get plenty of people who really want the help and support, but are very nervous or hesitant or anxious for their own reasons, but they're willing to defer to an expert and they just need a lot of handholding through it, which is my job. I'm happy to do that. And I do think that sometimes it's the people who come from a place of like the most hesitancy and nerves about it, who see the most profound change because they were kind of skeptical going in. And so I spend, depending on what the situation is, I do spend a lot of time with families explaining the why behind things. Like, well, why does it matter that they're awake when I put them down? Well, why does it matter that they're on the schedule, right? So, and I think a part of my job too, people sometimes call me like, they're, they're like, you're better than my therapist. But I do think that like 40% truly of my job is the actual information, like the sleep information. And when, when I'm working with someone one-on-one and then like 60% is like keeping them on, right? And keeping yeah. them doing it. But I do think that a lot of families feel to your point, they almost feel guilty. I had a client tell me this recently. Like she was like, I, I went into this feeling guilty. Like maybe it's not the best for him. It was a four month old boy, but I haven't slept in you know six months, basically pregnancy through that. And so I was like, I can't function. We have to sleep train. And she was like, I think now I'm seeing that it wasn't just for me. Like he's so much happier. That's what I hear constantly. My baby is so much happier. I thought they had reflux. I thought they had colic. I thought they had a cow's milk intolerance. They don't, they were just exhausted. Right. And, and hearing things I, for me personally, the happiest moments I have in my job are hearing people say things like we hadn't gone on a date night in two years, or my husband and I haven't slept in the bed together in a year, or, you know, there's a million different examples, but people whose lives have basically been on hold because they're exhausted. So I think for families to understand that no matter how bad the situation is, and no matter how long it's been going on, it is fixable. And you can see a profound change as long as you're willing to stick with it and do it. Yeah. And just going back to even like your little staycation that you had with your son, like it just shows like you were, you said, like you came out of it. You're like, I'm a happier mom. Like I'm better. And that was even with your child. Like that wasn't just like you solo time. And so just the thought of like having like one good night's sleep or one date or like focusing on a different aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. 
it makes everything better. And it makes probably that little four month old even happier because mom is not like a frazzled mess doing whatever that is. Of course. Right. Like what's that? I always say gas mask, which is not the right word, but you know, like you have to put your mask on before right? the airplane it's mask. True. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know about you, but I am somebody that if I don't get a good night's sleep, like I am crankier, I can pull it together for my kids, but I'm cranky. And I can't imagine if I had to do that every day for years, you know, right. It would not be a nice mom. No. So now looking back at it, what do you think are like the top three? I'll go with three mistakes that you see parents of either toddlers moving on make. And I'm saying this because I think in in overall wellness, I always say one of the number one things is awareness. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes you don't even realize it until you hear someone else say it and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm totally doing that. Like, I shouldn't be doing that. Or like, you know, oh, wait, maybe that's the problem. So like, I like to bring awareness out. And so I'm wondering for you, what are the top three mistakes you see people like parents making with their kids in sleep that are affecting, you know, like that if they just made this one change or didn't do this one thing, the future, like you're, you're projecting the future. Yeah. That's a great one. I mean, I'll say, and these are all more related to like toddlers and kids, Yeah, but I think probably the biggest one that I talk to families about a lot is remembering that like compromise and negotiation is a great tool for adults it's not a great tool for toddlers. They don't really have that capacity. And like a good example is, you know, like I like to say, like you and I are, we're going to invite it to a party. You don't want to go. I want to stay all night. We decide let's go for an hour. I know it's important to you, but like, I really need to get home. Okay. That's a compromise. That makes sense for a two and a half year old. If you say something like, I'll just lay with you for five minutes. I'll leave the door open a crack. I'll come back and check on you. And all they're hearing is room to negotiate, right? Like no five-year-old is like, or not, maybe not five, maybe no three-year-old or two-year-old is like, okay, she's laying with me for five minutes. That was a great compromise. And I will easily let her leave. I will never ask her to stay longer. And I will slowly let her just leave at bedtime. No. Then it becomes 10 minutes. Now dad is sleeping on the floor, holding your hand, right? It's this whole spiral effect. Is so there like a book about like negotiating with terrorists or negotiating with a toddler is like negotiating with a terrorist or something like that? Because <laughs> totally. It's you and a I little think, and it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it is such a slippery slope. And I think I totally get the parents' perspective, which is like, I'm trying to give them a little because I don't want to lay with them all night. And you're trying to be nice. And I think not understanding that that's not actually the kindest thing you can do for them. Making the boundaries unclear, making it blurry that is when you run into issues, right? It's just, they don't know what to expect every night. Cause some nights you're probably tired and you end up falling asleep. When you say those other days, you really have something to do. So you slam the door and you're like, I can't sleep. I can't lay here tonight. Right. So every day is a little bit different and that's really stressful for the child. So I think parents don't realize what they're intending to be helpful is actually making it worse. So that's probably the biggest one. I like Um, creating boundaries, firm boundaries. Yeah, really. And it doesn't mean that you're not loving and you don't have a great bedtime routine, but it means when you draw the line in the sand, whatever it is, that you actually stick to it. Because I think we have to remember too that kids can't control very much and they want to know what to expect, right? Like they love routine. They love structure, even if they're fighting it. So once they understand, oh, it's always two books and then I sing my song and then and mom leaves, they can relax. They're like, it's always the same right? Every, it's always, you see them at school. Like you were talking about with the conferences. It's like, they're so much better behaved at school. It's like, yeah. what, who is this child? It's because at school, there's all this structure and they know exactly what to expect every day. And it's harder to do that at home. And I also think a lot of parents, especially as kids get older, they're very resigned to like, I just have a bad sleeper. Like they just don't, you know, they're just, they don't need to nap there whatever. And understanding that like, that's not probably the case, right? Outside of sleep disorders, 
kids can be great sleepers, even if it's been years of a bad situation. And I, I want parents to know they don't need to be resigned to like my three-year-old just can't sleep. That's not, that's not true. I think those are the biggest ones. What else should I say about toddlers? I have so many thoughts about toddlers. A million. I just listened to your podcast episode on dropping the nap. And so that was an interesting one. I think that's a big mistake that parents make. And you like mentioned something in there that I was like, oh, that's exactly what I say. It's like, oh, they're not going to bed at night. They must not be that very tired. Like maybe I should drop the nap. Right. So I think that's like, I don't know, in my head, that was like one big mistake. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, I didn't realize that. Like, I didn't think of all the other stuff. So that was interesting. Yes. Uh, And actually that, that point applies to babies and toddlers. I I do tell families a lot because they'll say, you know, I'll give them their plan. And they're like, yeah, but we tried this and, um, but they didn't need, you know, they, she always fought that nap. And I always say, if they're not happy and content in their crib or bed, you do not have the data to support the amount of sleep they need. If you have a, a child who's a great sleeper, you always put them to bed at seven and you notice for two months, they don't fall asleep till nine at night. And there's everything else is equal. You're not going in and they're happy in their room. They're just playing with a little truck, but they don't fall asleep. Now I am thinking, okay, why is that happening? But if you put them down and they scream and they ask for water and you give it to them and then they want daddy to come in and ask a question and then their feet are itchy, that doesn't tell me they need less sleep. That tells me, we are not happy in our room. We don't have consistent boundaries. So we have to like establish that first. That's almost like when I'm working with anyone, that's our primary goal is like, we need them to be happy in their sleep environment. Then we can assess, okay, they actually do need less sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what about like, is there anything that you, knowing everything you know about like kids sleep, now transferring this to adult and parent sleep, are there any sleep hacks that you do for yourself? Like, you know, in order for you and your husband to get great sleep? Yeah. Hmm, That's a good one. I mean, I'm definitely not an adult like sleep expert by any means, but I would say the things that I know help besides obviously having your kids sleep well, there is so much data around blue light. And I do talk to families, you know, of kids who are watching TV right before bed. It is stimulating your brain. So I'm, let me be clear. I'm very bad about doing this, but I do try not to have the TV or like screens up or be like binging Instagram right before bed. And I do notice a difference. And I think for anyone, I've done this for myself. I do try to track certain characteristics. Like I've realized that if I can get to bed just before 10 PM, it does have a profound impact on my day the next day. And that's for me personally. I I think for that's, that's a very personal thing, right? That's really important to me. So thinking through for yourself, like if you start to notice patterns, the other pattern I've noticed for myself is if I'm doing work, at night, it really impacts my sleep negatively. It's almost like there's something about business at night that just hurts my the quality of my sleep. So well, I, I really I was, try. That's very similar to what you were saying, though, about kids, which maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on is that, you know, looking at, say, the computer screen or watching a TV or blue light, because mm-hmm. a lot of kids, you know, right before bed, it's like, oh, here, you brush your teeth, but like watch a little iPad or or like read on totally. your iPad or watch like a little show while I finish up in the kitchen or something. A lot of kids do that. And technically like they're like working, they're reading, they're doing all of that stuff right before bed. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect kids? Cause I think that translates to exactly how it affects parents. Totally. It's very confusing. I think because when you see a kid zoned out in front of Daniel Tiger, you're like, oh, they're relaxing. That's like getting them ready for bed. And it's not, it's actually stimulating their brain. So it's like, it's kind of having the opposite effect. And I'm sure everyone listening to this has had that kid that's like really wound up like an energizer bunny right before bed and is like running zoomies in the kitchen. So that's one thing you can do to avoid that is just not stimulating their brain right before bed. And I will say as a caveat, I think 
oftentimes when I'm working with clients, there's, you know, mom is or dad potentially is home alone with multiple kids trying to put them down or there's a newborn in the house and they're exhausted. I understand there are times when you're in survival mode and screens are like the best way to keep everyone sane. But even if that's the case, I still try to ask clients, like, is there something else quiet and calm we can do if you need them basically occupied while you're doing something that doesn't involve screens because it is going to make it harder for them to sleep for sure. Yeah. Well, now I'm curious, is there anything that you do daily for yourself, like self-care wise or for you to keep yourself kind of like calm or is there anything that like you go to daily for yourself, any rituals, routines, self-care, anything? Yeah. I mean, what I do, and I would say I do it four out of five days a week. It's been raining here. It's so I've been bad about it. But I do really typically, there's like a very specific period in the afternoon where kids are coming home from school, like the baby's in getting done for it. It's like very chaotic. And basically everyone is in my home and it's hard for me to get work done. So it's the perfect time for me to take a long walk. So I'll go you know, 20, 30 minutes. It's not insane, but I'll either walk down to the beach or just in my neighborhood and just listen to a podcast or listen to music. And it's a way for me to kind of reset my brain and it kind of avoid that afternoon slump so I can come back and get another good hour and a half of work done before the day is through. And kind of what does your workday schedule look like? Since you do have three kids, you're working full time, you're working from home while your husband's mm-hmm. there. Like, what does a typical, I guess, workflow look like for your day? Yeah. So, we alternate every other day with the drop-off. So that means some days between 8.30 and 9.30, I'm on school duty and some days I'm not. But the way I've structured my general workday beyond that, that works really well, is I have three full days dedicated to client calls. And they're usually pretty booked up. So this is Monday is one of those days. So I'm basically on the phone all day. And then two days a week, I do zero calls like ever for any reason. And those are dedicated to all of the rest of my work. So that's when I record my podcast. It's when I work on emails. It's when I write client plans, everything else that I'm doing. And I'm really structured about it. So I literally will say like 8.30 to 8.45 admin, like 8.45 to 9.45 email clients. So that I find that if I put it in the calendar and I say like, I am working on this email sequence for the launch of this product for this hour, I'm so much more productive than looking at an open day and being like, ah, no calls, I can get work done. And then I end up just kind of like puttering around for two hours. I love that. It's calendar integrity. It really, it really helps me personally. I'm very type A. So I need the, I need the accountability. (laughs) So what does the future of Brittany Sheehan sleep look like right now? Oh, good question. Well, I do have one thing in the works that I can't divulge quite yet, but it's about a year or two out that I am starting to work on. But I did launch two courses last year right after my daughter was born. So that was a huge undertaking that I'm still kind of like, I recorded the first one when I was pregnant and the other two when she was newborn. And it's like, it's been kind of crazy. So How right now, did you I, do that? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly think, I think you get this as a mom. Sometimes I think it's like when things are the most chaotic, that you're the most productive. And I, totally I, it just hit me that if I don't get this thing done before she arrives, it, it's going to be a lot harder to do it when she's a baby. So it actually made more sense to do it when she, I was, I think I was eight months pregnant when I recorded the first one. So now I'm just, I'm working through those and yeah. Oh, well, to wrap things up, I wanted to ask, what do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at either business or life? Uh, I think for the most part, I love that analogy of you always have so many balls in the air, the juggle, and being able to identify which ones are the glass balls and which are the plastic, because some balls are going to drop 
it's just not possible for us to get everything done in a day. And I think I'm typically pretty good at identifying this is a, a glass ball and it could be work related and it could be family related. And sometimes it means the other one is dropped, but knowing how to prioritize the important things and trying to release the small keeps me centered and, and good at my job and more importantly, a good mom and a wife. I love that. And where can we find you online? Yes, you can find me at my website, which is com. My podcast is The Snooze Button and my Instagram handle is Brittany Sheehan Sleep. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. 